Welcome to Love Canberra, a show about love, sex, and relationships here in the heart of the nation. I'm Ivana Ho, and this is Unruly Nerd Girl. Unruly Nerd Girl is 44, Canadian, and an IT person by profession. I pay my taxes. I spend time with friends.、Um, I try to. Improve myself in ways like cooking or、uh, writing, hobbies and pastimes such as that. So, just living, living life, really. She is an ordinary functioning adult who, in her personal life, is also what's called a service little. Yeah. Unruly nerd girl explained that being a little is one among many BDSM kink archetypes, and that it falls under the umbrella of age play. Typically, what we see in a little and big, because the opposite to a little is a big or a caregiver,、um, what you typically see is often the big is spending a lot of time caring for the little, providing for the little, giving to the little. And what I would like to see in my relationship is I would like to give back. To my big, so whereas I'm looking for emotional support, things like unconditional love, etc. I mean, I want to provide those things as well, but things like cooking, cleaning, chauffeuring, ironing their shirts, sending them off to work with a packed lunch,、um, arranging a spa day for them, buying them shoes, things like that. So that's the service part because. While I am a little,、um, I do have that facet. I'm also a service submissive, so I enjoy things like polished silverware and very foo-fooed, you know, meals prepared and having things just so and laced oilies. I want to be able to combine the two, and and for the longest time, I had the two separated. It was. One side of me was the little side, and one side was the service. So if I met someone, it's like, oh, you don't like the little side? Oh, okay, I got the service side. Or hey, you're not interested in the service side? Hey, I got the little side to to share with you. But honestly, the two of them are combined. I can't really keep them separate. There are times that I may not express one side or the other.、Um, for instance, I'm going to two events in May where they're service events. And it wouldn't really be appropriate to express my little side or have the little side come out. So, I'm going to dress up in my service outfit and do some servicey type stuff, if I can say that.、Um, serving drinks, nibbles, doing hand and foot massages, shoulder massages,、um, just making the guests at these events comfortable. And my little side will just be in the back of my mind. I don't know, maybe having a nap or mentally playing with Lego. <laughs> I don't know what he's going to be doing. So, so maybe just to talk about your little side first.、Sure. What does it mean to be a little? You know, that's I've been really thinking about the whole little idea, what it is, why this was something that developed in me, what it means.、Um, for me, I think the little side. Has always been there, outside of even the sort of the realm of BDSM. 
It's that side of me that delights in fun and innocence and has that sense of trust and vulnerability that I think we lose as we grow up. It's that I'm going to do what I want because I want it without any fear. Not in a, you know, I'm going to do what I want and you can't tell me otherwise. Not that kind of attitude, but the bravery. Like, like you see children and, you know, they will make a blue horse with five legs and they'll think it's awesome and they don't have any fear about it up until a certain age. Then they start looking around and they see their colleague or their classmate Bobby who's making a horse that looks like it's out of town and country and then they start developing you know well why isn't my horse as good as Bobby's horse there's that part of me that wants to have be the sort of have that freedom and that unencumbered who you know the judgments of others doesn't matter and just have fun and be in a safe space where I can just be who I am and, and think what I want to think without the the um, judging gaze of others. Um, and also, it's a, you know, it's a good excuse to play with Lego and stay in your jammies. <laughs> who doesn't like that? You've described your little self online as being, is it um, a little boy bear? Yes, I, I know that uh, that puzzles some people. Um, it wasn't something that I chose. I didn't, I didn't choose this. I didn't choose to have this side of me. It's the same way that people don't choose to be gay or to be trans. It just develops, it just manifests, and you either come to an understanding about it and accept it or you don't. And I've done a lot of self-reflection and I looked inside and I was and I realized, hey, you know, I'm I'm really more attracted to sort of typical quote unquote boy toys or boy activities than I am girl things. Like I don't like dresses. I'm not interested in unicorns and glitter. And although, you know, I shouldn't say that. I mean, not all girls are attracted to that. Um, I'm, you know, I'm interested in more sort of boy sort of things. Like my favorite outfit is is a Boy Scout outfit. Um, that's what I feel... I feel most authentic. That's when I feel like it's my real self being expressed. As for the little bear, well, I identify more as a bear. So the whole symbolism of a gay bear, I mean, bears are typically male, although um, there are female bears. We're known as Ursuline. So the two sort of combined, and I said, you know what, my little is a little boy bear. And it is what it is, and I'm happy with that. And and that's what I tell people. And um, they either get it and accept it, or they don't. Like I said, I didn't choose it. I accept it, and I live with it, and I work with it. Because the other choice is to be like a salmon fighting up river. And uh, that takes too much energy, really. So you mentioned that you don't identify as being a specific age but in terms of being a little, there is like an age range around that particular label, isn't there? There, there is. A little is a is a sort of an umbrella term. Um, in sort of the age play 
area. You can have adult babies. You can have people who identify as toddlers. You can have middles, teens, tweens. There are age ranges, and you will hear different. You will hear people identify differently. Um, some people will say, will even say that they're a little, but they're not into age play because for them, being a little is who they are at the core. And age play is like a role. It's almost like a like a cape you put on and take off. So there's really, it's a really sort of, it's not a place of struggle because there's a great quote that says language is a place of struggle. And it's not a struggle, but it is a very organic. When you meet someone who's of the same likeness or the same ilk, it's always good to establish what the vocabulary is and start with a baseline of communication. Because when I use the word little, it has a certain connotation. Whereas even when I'm speaking to another little, the word little may have a different connotation for them. So it's always good to establish a baseline at the at the very beginning and never never make assumptions that you know what what someone is trying to say. There are many of us for whom childhood is well in the rearview mirror, but we still spend a lot of time playing video games maybe have bought the odd adult colouring in book, and, frankly, like sparkly things. I wondered what the line is between littles and adults who enjoy things that are associated with childhood and adolescence. What is it that makes a little a little, and the rest of us not? I put this to Unruly Nerd Girl. It's not that it's a difficult subject, but it's very difficult to define, really. For me, at least, it's a matter of the heart and of emotions. I can sit and I can color and I can not be in little space, but I can also then sit some, you know, I can be somewhere and be coloring and let my little out. I think the difference is what is felt in the heart and definitely the mindset as well. And I think as well, for some people, they can play, they can go to a toy store and have fun and goof around. But I think for many littles, they also want the interaction, A, with other littles, or B, they want to interact with a big or caregiver. And for many of us, we want that emotional interaction. Um, whereas I think for m- many adults who engage in in forms of, of play, and play is such a broad term, play means different things to, to different people. I mean... Um, participating in um, the Society for Creative Anachronisms, you know, the SSC could be seen as a form of play, or painting miniature figurines like Warhammer 2000 or whatever could be seen as play. Um, So it's a very broad umbrella term. But I think for people in the little slash age play realm, the other component that comes in is having that partner. I don't want to say dominant partner because the caregiver or big to their little is n- not always necessarily the dominant. But there is, I think, that interaction as well, the interaction with peers, other littles. Um, so that's definitely, I think, the thing that makes it a little different than just adult play. So you mentioned dominant there. And I guess one of the assumptions that I had brought to the table when um, when I first met you and when I first started learning about littles and age play was that if you're a little and you either feel or play at being younger than your real age, that 
there's a level of submissiveness that comes along with that, but that's not actually the case. No, not at, not at all. Um, I actually know a, a couple, they're good friends of mine, where the little is the dominant partner and um, the big, her caregiver, who she refers to as Mr., doesn't refer uh, with the title of daddy or, or anything like that, um, is more submissive to her. So definitely in the same line of thinking that a masochist isn't always submissive or that a sadist isn't always dominant and, you know, a submissive can be a top. These are just sort of titles and labels. And if you're a little who likes to be a dominant, you might be, you know, that might take the form of the little who's the schoolyard bully or maybe the, you know, sort of the big sister to a submissive, you know, older brother. There's so many forms out there. It's, it's, like I said, it's a, a rainbow. It's a beautiful, beautiful rainbow uh, of uh, different combinations and permutations. At what point in your life did you realize you were a little? I think I've always been. I mean, there's always been that part of me that um, delights, enjoy, enjoys, I don't want to say childish things because that has such a negative connotation to it, but I mean, there's always a part of me that, you know, if I walk into a toy store, I, I just, I get so excited. Um, even as an adult, I, I want to see, you know, what are the latest toys that kids are playing with? And and I always think to myself, oh, that is so great that, you know, this is what kids get to play with now. Um and and then as an adult, of course, you have spending power. Do you, <laughs> do you buy these toys for yourself? Yes. Sometimes I, I must admit I do. I have, um, before I came to Australia, before I moved here, I actually went to a toy store and I, and I pretty much bought every set of Minecraft Lego that they had. And my intention was that, um, so I had the store, I had them wrap it all up, um, in this really nice paper. And my intention was that if I, if I got homesick, I would just unwrap one of the uh, packages and start building it, and that would remind me of home, and and um, you know that's how I would deal with the being away from my family and and all of my friends back home. So uh, it is nice being a being you know still having a child inside, but having an adult <laughs> budget to play with. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I, I think I've always retained that part of me that innocence and that delight and that joy and the unencumbered emotional outpouring um, and sensitivity. Like I feel as we age, I believe that we, for many reasons, because the world can be a wonderful, beautiful place, but it can also be a little hard at times. And we, we basically grow, a, you know, a suit of armor and uh, over time, I think we lose the ability to take that suit of armor off. And we just carry this around and it weighs us down. And I think I'm very fortunate and blessed that I retained that part of me that that can just lose the armor, even for a period of time, and just enjoy what there is and be emotional and affectionate and be my wholehearted, authentic self. So 
I've always had that part. It's just when I found BDSM or came into BDSM, I found a home to express it because I don't know that in the muggle world, if I would have been able to really express that, if it would have been acceptable, then say in the BDSM realm. And I think that's a shame, actually, that we don't have some other sort of realm for folks who aren't necessarily attracted to leather, kink, BDSM, DS, etc. So how old were you when you kind of came into the BDSM world and you found this word to describe these feelings that you have? My awakening to BDSM really happened around the same time as my sexuality. I was in my early 20s. I received a, um, a CD in the mail. This is, this is going back a little ways for AOL, America Online. And uh, it was one of these situations where you put it in your computer, you'd get 10 hours, I think, free of online time. And, you know, you would, you would start up the program and your dial-up modem would start making the uh, handshake connection signal sounds and you'd get online. So I think I was online for maybe like five minutes and I stumbled into a BDSM chat room and I was like, what is this? And um, so I started talking to folks and, and it was just, I started learning and I started reading and researching and I would spend hours online just investigating the whole pantheon of BDSM and what did it mean and what was it about and um, I mean I think I always there was always a bit of me that had sort of a kink bent but I didn't understand what it was I didn't know what it meant when my sexuality was really sort of in its beginning stages I was also dealing with the um, realization that I was, that I was, well, at the time I thought I was gay. Um, so I was dealing with that. But as my sexuality has developed and progressed, I've come to the realization that I'm more pansexual. I, I don't even like that label. Basically, if you're not a jerk, I'll go to dinner with you. I don't care what body gender you manifest. You know, if you can make me laugh and you're a kind person and you have compassion at your core, then I'll go on a date with you. Sure, why not? And develop a relationship with you. Why not? If we're compatible, um, you know, as to what gender you I manifest or none at all, that is inconsequential to me. So so at the same time that I had, you know, my, my sexuality and, and gender um, orientation or gender attraction was developing, I had this, this interest or this leaning towards BDSM. Um, so it was very, uh, very confusing time. But um, it was also so interesting and so introspective. And it was very scary at times as well, because I, um, I'm not a, you know, big city girl. I'm a, I'm a country bumpkin. <laughs> I'm at the heart of me. I'm still a country bumpkin. And, you know, growing up in a small little village, it's not like I could go to anyone and ask them about this. I mean, my, I've never, I've never, even today, I've never had a sex talk with my mother. Um, when I, <laughs> when I got my, when my menstrual cycle started, I remember I went to my mother and I was like, oh my God, mom, I'm bleeding out. And she basically threw a pad at me and said, use this. 
It's like a carry moment. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so that was that was pretty much the sex talk. Um, <laughs> I definitely didn't have a role model. I had no map. I didn't understand what was going on, and I basically had to forge my own path and learn from who I could. Um, I made friends online. I met a few authors of some BDSM type texts that I would I would hold as sort of uh, pillars of understanding of this this thing that we do. So I was very blessed that although I didn't have a perfect education, the education that I received, that I experienced, it was very good. And it gave me a very good and, and broad understanding. So I'm very, I'm very happy for that. So in your 20s, you're in this period of, I guess, exploring your desires and what, um, I guess, makes you tick and what you don't enjoy and all that sort of thing. Was there any part of you that was resisting these things that, you know, it'd be so much easier to live in the world if you were more of a muggle? You know, I, even today, I experience that. I mean, I'm very accepting of who I am. I, I am who I am. And, um, you know, if the universe didn't want me, I wouldn't be here. So there must be a reason for me to be here. And I don't know if my my mission in life is to figure out why I'm here, or perhaps my mission in life is just to accept who I am. But there are times uh, that I think, why can't I just be like, why can't I just be like my siblings? Why can't I just be someone who wants to marry, have kids, you know, have a job, retire, eventually die? Why do I have to be not only the black sheep, and I know that's a unfortunate term, um, I prefer psychedelic sheep myself, um, you know, why do I have to be a psychedelic sheep and be into this this um, world that oftentimes is very misunderstood at best, at worst hated and uh, maligned? Why do I then have to even be the psychedelic sheep of the psychedelic sheep? Because I'm a little, which is often, you know, even more misunderstood or sometimes feared, sometimes even hated within the BDSM community. So there are definitely times that I wish I could be different. But if uh, if wishes were horses, then beggars would ride. So I am who I am, and it's easier to love what I am and who I am. And it's not necessarily about seeking approval for other from others. It's being the best the best little bear that I can be, if I can say that. (laughs) How has being a service little complicated your dating life? It's created a lot of fear. In my time here in Canberra, I haven't dated. I've uh, tried. I've tried mostly online. Because if you meet someone and you connect, I usually connect with someone first in a sort of a... Unless they're part of the BDSM community already. If it's someone from, those, say, the vanilla... And I, I dislike that term, hence the reason I use muggle. Um, and I should mention that I don't think one is better than the other. I don't think 
that, you know, oh, if you're from the BDSM community, you're of a higher, more enlightened individual. Um, I don't feel that way at all. I think it's just, it's just different. Um, but if I meet someone from the muggle community and we connect, it's like I have to come out to them and I have to come out to someone over and over again because I might meet someone and I come out and say, what you're seeing is only part of the pie. You're seeing this individual who, you know, has a, a successful job and um, a good home life. And hopefully you find them to be very stable and funny and warm and caring. But there's this whole other side of me that you don't know about. And it's not a side. It's not like I'm saying to someone, oh, hey, I'm a woodworker. Um, it's, hey, I enjoy engaging in power exchanges with people on a consensual basis, which may or may not involve uh, things such as corporal punishment and sex. Yay! Um, <laughs> so that can be very difficult, especially for some individuals. Um, there's a whole group of radical feminists out there that are vehemently against BDSM. There are, you know, people in even in the queer community who are vehemently against BDSM. So you find it in all sort of factions of life. And so when you meet someone and you hit it off and you start dating, it's a huge elephant in the room. I just recently, I, I was dating someone and I didn't even want to start dating this person because I knew I would have to come out about it. And I agonized over it, um, and I thought, why don't I just break it off? And I remember talking to my friends, and and I even I talked to my sister about it. Now, my my family doesn't, my family for the most part doesn't know about my my BDSM life, not because uh, I'm ashamed, but I just don't know that they would understand. Especially my mom, she's um, she's older, and I don't know if she would understand that. I mean, she's always she's always known I was a little weird, but I think this is just a little too much for her. my um, my middle sister knows about it because I don't I don't have very many secrets. I, she doesn't necessarily know about the little side. Uh, she knows about the BDSM side because I I was sort of forced to come out to her. My um, my wife, I, w I was with my ex-wife for 12 years at one point when our marriage was breaking down. She threatened to out me to my family, and I didn't take too kindly to that. So the moment she said that, I basically called my sister and I said, listen, this is what I am, this is what I do, et cetera, et cetera. And my sister, you know, for being a country bumpkin herself, uh, really did take it all in stride and said, you know, are you safe? Do you know what you're doing? And I said, yes, I am safe. I am very cautious. I know what I'm doing. And her response was, okay, that's all I need to know. Um, I never told her about the little stuff because that I don't know. I don't know that, um, that she needs to know that. She just knows that I do stuff. And um, I think that's about as much as we need to say. But um, I, I even told my sister that I was I was dating this person and and you know oh my god I'm gonna come out and how do I come out and when do I come out and and so she she said well why do you have to come out like why don't you just get to know her first but I felt that hiding this part of me she was missing part of it um, she was missing part of me and so it's very difficult when you meet someone and you click 
to have to come out again. And and that's the only experience I the only feeling I can I can describe it as. It's like coming out as gay every single time. Um, it's a similar sort of worry that you'll be rejected, you'll be hated. I was getting to know a woman we hadn't met. She lived in Sydney. We had connected online and then we spoke over the phone. And she seemed to be more appalled that I was, in her words, bisexual than being into BDSM. That for her was a was a deal breaker that um, I enjoy individuals no matter what their gender is. So I found dating very hard here um, and dating in the vanilla slash muggle world. And a lot of it is my own fear, fear of rejection, of hate, of... Um, I haven't really been that active. Um, I've tried dating within the BDSM world, but because of what I'm seeking, it's very difficult, uh, very, very hard to find what I'm looking for. So it's been, at times, a very lonely journey. You keep hoping that, you know, God will gift you with someone, but there are no guarantees in the world. I mean... Everyone uses the adage, oh, there's someone out there for everybody. Well, there's no guarantees there are, you know. Some people live complete, wholehearted lives without ever having a partner. And, you know, I I envy them. I mean, I would love to have a partner. I would love to have a big to look after, you know, um, whatever title I give them. Hey, Mama Bear you've had a hard day at work. How about I make you your favorite dinner tonight? And you just put your feet up. I'll make you a tea. We'll watch, you know, Game of Thrones together or whatever. Um, and later I'll give you a bath and a massage and we can cuddle in bed and we'll read some Charles Dickens. That sounds awesome. How about that? Uh, you know, I would love that. That may never happen. It may happen. I don't know. I don't have control over that. That's, that's the, uh, that's the universe's plan, not mine. So, um, I don't know how to resolve that. I don't know how to resolve getting over that fear and getting out there and letting people see my authentic self. I don't know. I think maybe that's the next chapter I work on <laughs> is developing enough shame resilience so that I can put myself out there so that I say, hey, this is me. This is who I am. If it's not for you, thanks very much. I'm not your cup of tea, but I'm somebody's uh, shot of fireball. So... <laughs> you mentioned your ex-wife who you were with for about 12 years and it sounds like she was a muggle but you would have realized who you were at the time when you met her so how was it that that relationship worked and I guess ultimately didn't work? Well, I actually met her. Um, interesting story. I was living with my my dominant at the time. We had been living together for a few years and the relationship I had with my dominant was purely based on... Um, play and it was a service. It was a non-sexual. We weren't romantic partners. We were not sexual partners. It was a pure power exchange relationship. 
And so I was free to date whoever I, I chose. And so I spent quite some time uh, actively trying to look for a partner. And when I say actively, I meant online uh, because I was too afraid really to go out in public and and join groups and meet people. And I remember I went to bed one night and I was so desperate and lonely and I just, and I prayed and I, and I'm not a big rah-rah religious person, I'm, but I, I think I am a spiritual person. And I prayed and I thought to myself, I just don't want to wake up. You know, I just, I'm done with this. This is, this is crap. I am done with this. I just don't want to wake up. And I, I fell asleep actually praying and I woke up the next morning and I was so mad. I was so mad that I woke up I'm like, oh God, I'm still here. And that day I received an email from the woman who was to be my wife um, and we just started to get to know each other and started talking and she was so fascinating and funny and I was so willing to compromise knowing that I had this knowing that I was a little knowing that I was into BDSM knowing that I was into service knowing all of this I was willing to compromise that because I wanted so much to be in a partnership and she was really the first woman that ever had really showed interest in me so we began dating and at first like within you know the first little while I came out to her about this side of me and I said hey the woman I live with is not only my roommate she's my dominant and this is what I do for her and blah 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 and and at first my ex-wife was like oh that's cool whatever you know go do your thing and come home to me and then it became no I don't want anybody else touching you yeah, even though it was a non-sexual, I'm. I mean, that's very debatable. Uh, you know whether sex is in the is in the you know the pink bits or the mind. Um, that's a conversation I have with a friend of mine. We we go round and round debating what exactly sex is. Um, but in her frame of mind, she didn't want me to have any sort of intimate interactions with anybody at all, and um, I agreed to this. So for the longest while, my participation in the BDSM community was a very solitary practice. I mean, I still had my toys. I still had all my books. I would still do reading and research online, but I wouldn't go to gatherings or munches or play parties or discussion groups. And I sure wasn't playing during this time. And it made me just want to crawl out of my skin. I just needed, I needed to be tied up and flogged and in a consensual way, not in a, uh, not an abusive way. And um, so eventually she relented long into our relationship. And she said I could go hire the services of a pro dom. And it was, it was a huge relief for me to be able to go. But she really, even though she said I could go and do this, you could tell that she was not comfortable with it. There were many rules around it. For instance, I couldn't communicate with these pro-doms outside of a session. It was purely a, a financial transaction. I, w I wasn't to spend any time with them. Um, it w there was a lot of structure and rules around it, which really made the experience, it lost some of the magic for it. And 
there was also the fact that when I would come home, and sometimes I would have bruises, which I enjoyed, I would have marks, she would just look at me and just say, disgusting. And it was just the, the vehemence and the, the, the venom and the hatred in her voice. I just, I, I felt so ashamed. I felt so just uh, worse than human. Um, I just felt like I was this disgusting creature, really. Um, and it, it was a part of the reason why our marriage failed. There were many, there were many pieces of the pie of why our marriage failed. But in at the end of the day, I think it just showed me that moving forward, I can't get into a relationship with someone who, as a muggle, like I. I could possibly be in a relationship with someone who's a muggle, but they would have to be very understanding and very accepting of this side of me and realize that it's not like a, it's not like a jacket that I can put on and take off. This is, this is who I am. It's, it's, it's like my arm. It's a part of me and it's not going away. Maybe some, there are days it wanes more, it waxes more. It's changed over the years. For instance, I used to be able to go to a play party and, you know, if I enjoyed someone's company, if if we developed a connection, we could play, again, non-sexually. Um, and when I say that, I mean like no touching, no touching or stimulating of the pink bits. Um, but these days I find that even that, even playing, um, I don't get a satisfaction from it because I don't have a connection with the person. I don't have a um, an emotional bond between us. So it's almost like eating a rice cake. It fills you up, but <laughs> it's not very satisfying. And that's no judgment to anyone who eats rice cakes. Um, <laughs> but it just, yeah, I... I think I got into that relationship because I wanted so much to have someone who was attracted to me and had interest in me because she was really the first real woman, uh, lesbian who, who was attracted to me. So that was the, I think the lesson that I came away with from that relationship. Um, so these days, if I do date, if I hope to date, if I meet someone, I usually prefer to do it within the BDSM community. I mean, that's, that's no guarantee I mean, like I said, even within the BDSM community, being being a little is not not always met with the warmest of welcomes. Let's let's put it that way. So it's a difficult position. I mean, uh, it has occurred to me that perhaps I will be a solitary practitioner all my life. But the alternative to that of entering into a relationship which isn't fulfilling where I can't be my wholehearted, authentic self, I think that is a fate worse than being alone. You know, I just need to take the lessons learned and know that moving forward, I need to present my whole self to someone. And God willing that uh, there is someone out there who says, yes, I appreciate your whole self and I would like to engage with your whole self as well. The things that you talked about in terms of what you would do for a big as a service little, the feet massages, the snuggling up to watch Game of Thrones, you know, other things of that nature. 
it seems curious to me that people wouldn't enjoy that. Well, I actually, um, with the last partner I was dating, she did not enjoy acts of service at all. She did not like when I would help wash up the dishes or help make a meal. Um, and I even spoke to a counselor about this and I said, I don't know that there's enough in the relationship for me to be happy. I said, you know, I'll go over to her house and we will sit down and, and she's making a meal and I want to help. And all she wants me to do is sit on a stool and talk to her. And so my counselor pointed out and said, well, maybe you sitting on the stool uh, chatting with her is helping. So I had to reframe sort of service. But at the end of the day, well, there were many reasons why that relationship failed. But I think at the end of the day, my partner came to the conclusion that she was not a big, was not into age play whatsoever, in fact, was against it, um, didn't realize that a little means age play, or else she probably wouldn't have engaged in the relationship to begin with, but also did not want me to do anything for her. I would... Um, I would offer to do different acts of service and she abhorred it. So, at, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, well, you're not into the little side. You're not into the service side. Uh, I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing for you. So um, there are many people who can't accept acts of service because to receive an act of service means being vulnerable. And some people have difficulties with that. And fair enough. Um, there are many reasons why people don't want to be open and vulnerable. So it's not merely, you know, okay, go, go clean my house. It's opening up your home. I know many friends who have never, uh, you know, never let anyone step inside of their home because it is so personal. So receiving acts of service means opening up yourself a little. And I can understand why people don't want to receive, um, there's also a, you know, a bit of trust, especially in the BDSM world. This is um, not a newish phenomenon, but something I think in the past, I'd say within the past decade has happened where you will have um, a situation like you'll have usually like a female dominant and a male submissive will come and say, mistress or however they goddess, uh, please allow me to do X, Y, Z for you. And um, there's always a price tag at the end. And, you know, when they perform X, Y, Z, okay, now now I'd like a blowjob. There's always a catch. So I think many folks in the BDSM world have have become resistant to accepting acts of service because they, they're afraid of what the price tag is or what the catch is. In, in my writings that I do on the subject of service, I, I do say it needs to be an exchange. It is a power exchange, which means it's a two-way street. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, I do X for you, and then I get a sexual gratification out of it. It could be, I do X for you, I would appreciate in return a hug, or thank you, or just an acknowledgement that, yes, that was a job done well. I mean, it, it varies from person to person. It, you know, uh, negotiations are, that could be a whole other topic <laughs> of chatting, is the whole subject of negotiation. When I was 
coming into sort of BDSM and I saw other individuals and I was trying to figure out what I enjoyed. And I stumbled upon the whole idea of little. Well, first I stumbled upon uh, adult babies, and I was horrified at the concept at first, I have to admit. I stumbled across this, and I thought, oh, my God, this is not right. But then the more I started reading about it and understanding what it is and the mentality and started, I guess, really understanding the attraction... It's one of those situations where you fear what you don't understand, but then you realize that's that's sort of who you are. So then I realized, hey, that some of the some of the um, the emotions and the thought processes it has been sort of a process uh, over twenty years, really, of understanding who I am and how it works and or how it could work, and it is always evolving. I liken myself to a BDSM taxonomist, kind of like a Charles uh, Darwin of (laughs) BDSM, because I'm always interested in hearing other people's stories about who they are and what they do. And part of it is that I guess I want to create this sort of mental taxonomy of, of different archetypes and different types of BDSM, because I want, I want to be able to share it with others. So if someone says, well, I'm a, you know, sissy maid who's looking for a mommy and I'm so weird, there's nobody like me, I can say, oh, that is incorrect, my friend, because I know of three. And, uh, you know, there's a group and have you seen this website? And Because I think that one of um, negatives in life is that we feel that we're, we're so unique and being unique makes us weird because we're not like other people. Not that people aren't unique, but hey, did you know that you're not alone? Because I think that's the key is that we think we're alone. And as human beings, we don't we don't want to feel like we're alone. We have this natural drive to be part of a organism, uh, to be part of a community. So if I can say, hey, you're not alone. I know of somebody who's just like you. I think that's um, that's a huge benefit for others. And I'm also just fascinated by the different combinations and permutations that are out there. I'm just, uh, I, I think it's just so interesting how people develop and who they are and what they are. So you mentioned that when you first learned about adult babies, you had something of a strong reaction. What was it that kind of freaked you out about the idea of adult babies? I guess it was sort of the same reaction that um, someone in a documentary once who was talking about um, being an adult baby or being a little, a great quote they said was, it's not that we want to be with children, we want to be the child. The only interest I have in children is hanging out and playing Lego. Like, honestly, I will sit there and I'll play Lego with with kids, but I don't view them in any kind of context other than people who like the same thing that I like. I don't want to date a child. I don't want to be around children. In fact, I'm getting all hot and sweaty, just like, oh, God, that 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 would just upset me so much. Um, so I think it was the same sort of reaction. I didn't understand. And I find as humans, we fear what we don't understand. So it was the same reaction that I think many have, that this involves sexualizing children, which it doesn't. For me... 
and for many others who are littles or in age play, it's about not necessarily revealing, but expressing a side of us that is pure and without any guises, without any malintentions, without also a side that isn't held back by anything. It is, um, you know, just like children, they, they, they call it like they see it. And if a child loves you, they love you so unconditionally. And that is, that's, I think, really what for me, I want, because my little is so wrapped up in my emotional core, it's I want so much to have a big in my world, a nurturing partner who I can just look up to as my hero. And I mean, they don't even have to be, you know, great. Like they don't have to have like a Fortune 500 job and have a lot of money and, you know, look like Chris Pratt or or Sarah Paulson, although if they look like Sarah Paulson, I'd be so happy. Um, <laughs> you know, just someone who is good and decent and kind and caring and compassionate. And I can just look at them with awe and say, that is my papa bear or my mama bear. And aren't they just wonderful? And they love me unconditionally with their whole heart. And they just think I am awesome. So, uh, yeah, I had a bad reaction at first because I didn't understand. But then I, I sat with my uneasy feelings and explored them and read and researched. And I came to an understanding of what it is really that people are wanting, people are expressing. Um, this is part of life where people can find relief and release. And it's like a little pocket of safety and security and that's what attracted to me to it really or perhaps it was like speaking to like maybe it was there all along um you know that saying of of when the student is ready the teacher will appear perhaps it was like that what do you think it is with mainstream society's view that as you grow up you should develop more age-appropriate interests and um, pleasures and that as you age, you should leave behind childish things. What do you think is like with that? What do you think of, about that sort of idea? I think it's the same thinking that society has that certain clothing should be deemed girls' clothing and certain clothing should be deemed boys' clothing. How about it's my clothing, I bought it. <laughs> it's neither girl nor boy clothing. It's what I put on my body. But... I think there is the idea that play is something that's only reserved for children, which researcher Brene Brown has found that individuals who live wholehearted, authentic lives, they engage in play at a rate that is just exponentially greater than the average individual. Play is so important to creativity and problem solving and being able to interact with other individuals to cultivating empathy. We need more play in the world. And however you define play, I, uh, you know, that's to each individual, whether it's building Lego, whether it's uh, throwing axes, whether it's uh, cooking or 
stamp collecting. We need more play in the world. So the idea that we need to put away childish toys, I think that that is just another one of society's ways of segregating us and dividing us and almost a form of control, really. I don't want to sound all, you know, another brick in the wall, but... (laughs) But I think it is a form of, of control and contrived the way it has to be. When people talk about littles, sometimes um, there's this idea that they are a little because of trauma in their childhood or something like that. What is your kind of take on what led you to being a little? And yeah, did did you have a great childhood? Um, I think for some folks, definitely they're attracted to being a little because of trauma in their past. Some folks are looking to be reparented, um, and so they are attracted to the little community. I don't feel that everyone who is a little had some sort of trauma. Did I have the best childhood? No, I mean, my parents were average. I I am a product of the 70s and 80s. My parents did the very best they could with the uh, experience, skills, and knowledge that they had. They gave me life. I, you know, if, if you believe in the spiritual line of thinking, I chose them as my parents. So I can't say that I experienced trauma and therefore that's why I'm a little. I think I'm a little because that's part of my personality and makeup that I was always attracted to, say, Saturday morning cartoons. Um, you know, I've always loved comic books. I've always loved toys. I know that for some folks, definitely being a little, they're looking to it as a form almost of therapy. And I caution about that because expressing your little side or being a little, I don't know that it's healthy to explore it 24-7. It's kind of like Disneyland. It's a nice place to visit, but nobody lives there because then it becomes just an addiction, I think that we numb ourselves in society with with food, with drugs, with alcohol, with gambling, with shopping, and expressing your little side or living in a little world all the time becomes a form of numbing. Um, I feel it's healthier when you have this little space that provides you with relief or release, almost like meditation. Uh, Nobody meditates 24-7, although that would be impressive if they did. Um, But again, it creates this, this temporary space where you can come back to yourself. As Unruly Nerd Girl and I were talking, something occurred to me that felt very relevant but I was uncomfortable about asking it. I decided to ask anyway, but to tread lightly in doing so. We're in 2019 at the moment, and earlier this year, there was that, I think it was like a three-part series that came out on like Netflix about Michael Jackson and um, 
uh, his assault of two boys in particular who were interviewed for the series. I mean, when people talk about Michael Jackson, they talk about how he um, had a very childlike demeanour and that, but yeah, but certainly there was that childlike quality about him and he really enjoyed things intended for children, I guess, and kids. Have you had conversations with fellow Littles about Michael Jackson and does this, uh, these new things that have come out about Michael, do they make you a bit more defensive and like you feel like you have to be more protective of, you know, who you are and how you're not that? Well, there's always the danger when there are high-profile pedophile cases in the media that suddenly within the BDSM community there'll be this sudden unwanted and unwarranted spotlight shone on the age play little community. But many of us emphasize the fact that within age play, within the little community, it is adults who are consenting to be an age younger mentally or older. There are there is such a concept as senior play where someone acts in a in a way that is older than their biological age. But we emphasize the fact that we are sane, sober adults making a conscious choice to exchange this power with someone else or to engage in this in a way where we are fully understanding of what it is we are doing. There is a concept of age regression, which is different than age play or or being a little. So in age play, you are an adult making a conscious choice to express a side of you. In age regression, it is a mental state where someone regresses to a younger age, usually because of trauma, but it could be for whatever reason. When they are in that childlike state, they are a child. So there is no possibility of consent because there is no understanding of consent. So in those situations, these individuals need a caregiver in the sense that they actually need someone who is an adult who is responsible for them. There is no power exchange because there's no power exchange because consent cannot be given. So in cases where you have things like Michael Jackson, I mean, that is just such a, that is just such a mixed bag of of worms because he was such, he was brilliant, um, a brilliant artist, but a very, very troubled soul. And I don't know that it's as simple as was he someone who was a little inside, you know, anyone can say without even having a degree in psychology that he was a damaged individual. Um, You know, I can't even I can't even begin to fathom what was going on in his head or, or explain his actions. But those of us in the age play or the little community work very hard to explain and to emphasize to individuals that just because we may play with toys or may act in a childlike way or perhaps we dress up in a certain manner, we are still adults. We we are not believing that we are children. 
and we do not tolerate pedophiles in our community at all. Even if, if someone were to say, hey, I have an attraction for children, but you know, I'm not doing anything with real children. I do things with, with littles. It's like, no, that's not on. Get out. Because you are not understanding the, the power exchange, the whole concept of consent. Um, you're not welcome here. In terms of that interplay or that, I guess, divide between adult and child, do you know of other littles, adult babies, middles, who are parents themselves and how do they kind of reconcile those two roles or or those two parts of themselves? I do. I mean, um, there are many folks who are into age play or being littles who are parents themselves and... I think it's just another facet of their of their being. Perhaps being a little themselves, maybe that makes them a better parent. I don't know. To be honest, I mean, I'm a I'm not a parent. I'm an aunt. I have nephews, and I would like to think that, especially when they were little, that made me a better aunt because. You know, I would sit there for hours and play Mario Kart with them, you know, because I was like, hell yeah, that sounds like fun, <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, I would go on eBay and find them the toys that they love. And I mean, there was, of course, the joy that you're making someone happy, but there was that extra joy of, oh, yeah, that's, that's a cool toy, man. Yeah, I can totally see why you like that. So I'd like to think that that is actually a bonus. Uh, for us. I've never really spoken to anyone about it. I mean, I'm sure that there are situations where parents encounter where they might think to themselves, you know what, if I, (laughs) I can totally understand why you're having a temper tantrum. I totally want to have one right there with you, but we can't right now (laughs) type thing. I'm sure there are situations like that, but uh, uh, yeah, overall, I'd like, I'd like to think that being a little or a big um, m- might uh, make one a better parent. I think you would have been for sure their favorite aunt. <laughs> well, I th- I think compared to their choices, yes, I was. <laughs> yeah, I I hope so. I hope so. I'm curious about who the oldest person is. That you know who is engaged in age play? Wow. Um. I've seen individuals as old as in their 60s describing themselves as littles. And this was actually a question I posed the other day. Um, How much of an age difference, does an age difference factor into you looking at a partner? And I mean, I guess, you know, if we took sort of the society model of parental roles and child, you know, of course, if you were, if you were a little, um, you would want your partner, your opposite, your big, your caregiver to be older than you, because then it creates that whole image. But as many folks pointed out, it's not necessarily age, it's level of maturity. um, It's the connection that you have. It's life experience. For myself, like, I don't want to say age isn't a factor. I did date someone who was younger than me, actually the same age as my nephews, and it never twigged in my brain that they were the same age until we were having a conversation one day. 
and um, we were talking about toys that we used to love. She mentioned this toy that she's like, oh, I used to love playing with blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, yeah, I used to buy those for my nephews. They used to love it. And then I just, it kind of twigged in my brain and I was like, wow, this conversation and this relationship just didn't get awkward at all, did it? (laughs) So, (laughs) I mean, ideally, you know, I guess you would want your partner to be older if you were a little, but if I had someone the same age as me or younger, I guess depending on their again, their level of emotional maturity, level of life experience, their level and skill at being a dominant, age really wouldn't factor into it, I don't think. And then it was time for show and tell. Would you like to show me some of your toys and accoutrements? Yes, I would love to. Follow me this way. I display my built Lego. As you can see, it's a little little village we got going on. It's all uh, it's all Minecraft Lego at the moment. Um, <laughs> that's the benefit of being an adult. <laughs> you have these creatures. These are called um, Endermen. So you have Endermen. You have uh, where are the zombies? Oh, there's a zombie. So skeletons. And then you have this little guy. These little characters that you embody, and you know you go and you dig some ore and you make yourself a sword or an axe and you go and fight these creatures and they drop things like they might drop a bow. You want it to be so scary, you just like building things, uh, you can do that. It's, it's a, uh, I love it. I think it's a great game and it's appropriate, I think, for all ages. I like to surround myself with things that I've either picked up on my travels, like these giraffes I picked up in uh, Kenya. I think I picked this up in Kazakhstan. This uh, runner, I think I picked it up in Kazakhstan. Okay, and, and, and the Lego pieces are resting on the runner. Yes, exactly. Um, they're from back home in Canada. Yeah, so it seems like you've sort of got a mix of the adult and the child stuff. Exactly, I'll, um, if you wanna come this way. I always say that my little is a very macabre. My little likes kind of, like I like skulls and I like, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas is one of my favorite. Um, Hotel Transylvania. I'm not like, oh, unicorns and, uh, you know, rainbows and sprinkles. And I'm like, no, I like, <laughs> like, I like skulls and creepers and creatures and horror movies. And I'm kind of a dark little, actually. <laughs> Truth be told. The house, my house is, has little things in them everywhere. Uh, this is my office. I have a, I have a cutaway of a creeper here. This is the Lego. Some of it I haven't even gotten to. I haven't even unwrapped. Uh, so on the floor here, there are um, a number of boxes stacked on top of each other, and they've been wrapped in some very colorful gift wrap that I guess you would use if you were giving these presents to a child. Exactly, exactly. I wanted to give my little something for when, you know, I was going through the those times where I was feeling alone and small and homesick. 
But, you know, as luck turned out, I haven't had to open some of them. So that's been great. Um, two of my Dom friends refer to me as, as Humphrey B. Bear, who I didn't know who he was, but he's an Australian children's character. So they found a Humphrey B. Bear at an antique store and they gave it to me because, uh, like Humphrey, I don't like wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> So this is my, my sort of play closet. I have my Boy Scout shirt here. I have my Boy Scout hat and my sash with all my badges in the other room. What do you wear with that shirt? Uh, so I wear my Boy Scout lemon squeezer hat, and I wear a pair of shorts, and I wear some um, like hiking boots, and I wear my sash full of demerit badges and my little neckerchief, and I go to play parties, public or private. Um, actually, um, there's a public play party um, that happens in Canberra known as Fire and Ice, and their last party was uniforms, and I wore my Boy Scout uniform to it. So that's that's one of my favorite little outfits. I have um, a full-on flannel onesie mm. on the bum. It says bear cheeks, and there's two <laughs> bears. <laughs> and these are my service the shirts I wear when I do service for my service outfits because I usually wear like a pair of dress pants, dress shoes, shirt, maybe a tie, a vest. I might wear a fabric vest. I might wear my leather vest. My leather vest has some uh, BDSM pins of uh, meaning for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I might wear that. And then I have my my little onesies here. So... I have uh, one with a circus motif, sloths, because I like sloths. I have one with unicorns, because I actually do like unicorns. <laughs> Vikings, which I really like, <laughs> and my space one. So these ones, um, I, these ones I think are meant for more people who are into uh, wearing diapers. Uh, that's not my thing, because that's why they have like the snaps at the crotch. But I, I like them. They're uh, they're soft, and uh, you know they don't involve pants. <laughs> So when might you wear those onesies? It just depends. I mean, um, you know, ideally I'd like to have a partner I could wear them with. I'd love to wear one after, you know, having a bath and being tucked into bed. Um, but I have worn them out. I've worn them to, again, I've worn them to play parties, whether private or public. I like to reserve these for times when I really am expressing my little side. Um, when I wear my Boy Scout outfit when I'm kind of being a kind of a cheeky, cheeky little bear. But uh, yeah, I'm, and I might wear these to like a little party when I'm hanging out with other littles. What is it about Boy Scouts that makes them a bit cheeky? Uh, I don't know what makes Boy Scouts in general cheeky, but my Boy Scout <laughs> is very cheeky. Um, I think it just the, I don't know, there's that kind of image of innocence and and um you know the whole helping old ladies across the street kind of thing and maybe kind of being a little sassy with that image <laughs> plus it, it they have a cool hat i think i think that's it i i enjoy i enjoy the accoutrements i like the cool hat <laughs> we walked past her bathroom where a multitude of yellow duckies caught my eye they were perched on the edge of her bathtub and do you actually, like, have baths very often? Sometimes. Sometimes I do. It's not, um, it's not huge on my list, but sometimes uh, I'll have a bath and it'll be, come on, everybody into the tub, <laughs> type thing. 
So you're now entering the gayest bedroom in Canberra, I just have to say. <laughs> so, so the first thing that uh, caught my eye are the framed posters that you have on the wall. Yes, I have, um, I have movie posters from uh, Paris is Burning, a wonderful documentary film, I think from the, I think from the 80s, about the whole drag ballroom scene. I love, love drag. It perhaps comes as no surprise, then, that unruly nerd girl also loves RuPaul's drag race. Large framed photos of drag queen Bianca Del Rio hang on her walls, some of them signed. Next to Bianca is a painting by a local artist of a pair of Louboutin heels. Unruly nerd girl tells me that she's not a foot fetishist, but she does love a woman in a nice pair of shoes. I would love to be able to, like, you know, say... May I please take you shopping and buy you a pair of Louboutins, please? And could we, could I then take you out to dinner and you could wear them for me? <laughs> so hopefully they would be consenting to that and they would enjoy it as much as I and it wouldn't be me foisting my fantasy upon them. <laughs> Again, I feel like there'd be lots of people who would love that. <laughs> well, there might very well. I just haven't met him or her or they yet, so... <laughs> Um, so I have a, as you can see, I have a hat collection. So this is my Boy Scout hat, my lemon squeezer. Why is it called a lemon squeezer? Is it just like the shape of the top? It's the shape of it because it looks like a, it looks like you could take a lemon and a lemon reamer. Uh, it looks like a lemon reamer on top. So this is one of my little drawers where I keep different accoutrements. So I have, um, I have my bear, my fuzzy bear gloves when I, I usually wear these when I'm expressing my little side. Hmm. And you were wearing those when I first met you. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes I wear them for war- warmth, I'll be honest. Uh. <laughs> we looked at a few other items. A black face mask made of neoprene, a military-style Air Force cap, and a Batman-looking half-face mask that she had yet to wear. Then she held up a dark khaki green sash, decorated with iron-on embroidered patches and metal badges. This is one of my favorite things. Um, this goes with my Boy Scout outfit. It's my uh, it's my demerit badge sash. So I have badges from I, I got one on eBay, Scouts Canada. Uh, I have a badge from my hometown, uh, so of the Leather Association National Capital Leather Pride. That's my Bear Pride badge, um, BDSM symbol, gay camper, Canadian. Um, <laughs> just a middle finger just a middle finger for you know a je ne sais quoi mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and they, there's different badges that appeal to me like this stool in the corner kind of like a timeout, you know mm-hmm. um, this badge I put it down lower um, I don't think a lot of people see it on my on my sash it says uh, it has a it has a picture of a, of a woman's body and she's holding up two handguns in front of her boobs, and it says, I heart guns and titties. And it is offensive. <laughs> really, it kind of is offensive. But the reason it's special and it's on my sash is because um, it's from Afghanistan, and I've been there four times. And um, so it makes me think of my time there and um, the people that I've encountered. So it has special meaning for me. It came from one of the PXs there. Which, uh, you know. What's a PX? Oh, sorry, it's a military um, store. 
So, you know, uh, you can judge it for what it is, but for me it has um, totally different symbolism than what the actual badge says. Uh, here, these are some uh, some badges I just found online. There's a Ender Dragon, so some more Minecraft, and that's a Creeper. So Minecraft, that's, this is a zombie unicorn, so I do like... <laughs> I do like unicorns if they're dark. So you can't get much darker than a zombie unicorn. So I wear this um, with my Boy Scout uniform. And, you know, I'm always looking for new badges to put on and new buttons and uh, pins um, that are relevant, of course, that have meaning. I, I wouldn't just, you know, slap something on. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, um, to... I mean, I think it is pretty clear that all of these badges and pins have some kind of meaning to you. Yeah, yeah. I um, I I tell people that I've earned every single one of. <laughs> so, yeah, that's um, pretty much. I, I don't want to say that's pretty much what I ought for little stuff, but I mean, you know, it's kind of like me. The little is scattered throughout the house, just like. The little in me is, you know, is in all parts of me. It's all everywhere. I can't separate. I can't separate the little. I can't put the my little bear in a box and, you know, put him in the corner. It's he's everywhere. He's he's just um, part of the landscape. Unruly nerd girl maintained her philosophical tone when I asked if she had anything else that she wanted to say. She said she hoped people had learned something from our discussion. And... I hope that um, if there are any folks who have encountered, you know, the concept of littles before and had perhaps a negative view, I really hope that I've done my best to perhaps give a different um, view on the subject and... Hopefully, if not changed your mind, maybe changed your heart at least. You've been listening to Love, Canberra. The theme music is by Proletaire. Details for the interstitial music are in the show notes. Get in touch at lovecamberpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Ivana Ho. Thanks for listening.